Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Hello and good morning from Clumbalogue, the Costa Dell, from the bedroom studio where supplies are being delivered through the door because yours truly sounds a little bit ropey. Mm, hello, by the way, to all the PCR testing staff in Tullamore. Thank you for your amazing efficiency. Let's see what result comes back later. It's not contagious through the radio anyway. That's the good news. Now, more importantly, what's coming up today? Are the best drivers really in Burr? Or does the Road Safety Authority need to ask why its testers aren't consistent? Do you fancy becoming a DJ? Because you'll meet somebody who is quitting the industry because of yet more COVID-19 restrictions. And he'll even give you a great deal on his equipment. And a brand new feature for you to enjoy today... Headaches and heartaches, and I shall explain more as the morning goes on. By the way, fantastic prize today. Vouchers for many local businesses in the Midlands, plus free tickets to the value of a thousand euro to bring you into the chance of winning a 300,000 euro house in Enfield. It's one of the biggest prizes we've ever had on this program, and I'll give you all the detail later. The phone number to call, 0818-300-103. You can text or WhatsApp, 083-3010-103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And, by the way, let's not forget the advent calendar. If you missed it on Breakfast with Anne-Marie, another chance to enter to win €100 Euro to spend with the Solace Eco Garden Shop in Port Arlington. So loads and loads and loads to be doing uh, over the next nearly three hours. What's on the front pages this morning? Well, the Irish Times tells us how if you are in your 50s, you may get a COVID-19 vaccine booster earlier than planned. Almost 400,000 people will learn this week when they will receive that booster shot. So whatever about vaccines and your opinion on them and whatever about the HSE's management of hospitals and the overall messaging when it comes to distributing vaccines they would put Amazon to shame they really really get them out fast front of the Irish Independent today one-third of COVID tests are being taken by children under the age of 14 and, well, that's not all that surprising at the moment because they are still in school. The rules around mask wearing for third class and upwards, they only kicked in a few days ago. So we're not going to see the effect of that, if indeed it proves to be a worthwhile measure, uh, for some time yet. Anyway, let's move on to the star Pats All Folks. It says, top promoter won't book any more shows until the pandemic is over that all the uncertainty of the rules is making it far too uncertain for anybody organising concerts or entertainment or live events 
to put their money where their mouth is. This is Pat Egan, by the way. His company runs the Olympia Panto, and he says it is madness what is happening at the moment. The gig is up. That is one point of view. Of course, the government would argue that restrictions are in the public interest, that they are going to reintroduce the higher rate of pop if you lose your job as a consequence of these restrictions and that it will all be over eventually. We'll see. Now, I want to mention a man who uh, was one of the most committed Offaly supporters and indeed a very, very loyal listener to Midlands 103 and an overall great character uh, for whom there has been an outpouring of tributes on social media over the weekend because he passed away at a very young age and he will be laid to rest on Tuesday. I'm talking, of course, of PJ Malloy. He was always at Offaly Games, always in the green, white and gold, and he is survived by his brothers Martin and John, who I know will miss him a great, great deal. But hopefully they have taken some solace from the lovely messages that have appeared online over the last few days, including, by the way, the Wolf Tones, posting on Facebook that PJ never missed a gig in the Offaly area over many years, and he was in the front row in October when they were in Tullamore for the Canal Quarter Festival. Uh, many, many tributes being paid to him online. All right, where will we go next? Your driving test. Now, I don't know about you, but in 1999, when I did mine, actually it was 98, it was December 1st, 98, I was far more concerned about passing my driving test than passing my leaving cert the following June. It's a rite of passage for guys of a certain age, and maybe girls too now these days. So there can be a bit of potluck depending on where you sit your driving test. The rate of passing varies enormously. So in some parts of the country, it is as high as three in every four drivers getting through or it's fewer than four out of ten. For instance, if you happen to take the test in Burr, in Offaly, seven out of ten drivers there go through first time. So is it that drivers in Burr are just that damn good? Or is it that the Road Safety Authority needs to ask their testers, are you being consistent here, guys? But complaints... Inevitably, if somebody fails their driving test, they're not going to be too happy. So the Road Safety Authority, under the Freedom of Information Act, has released what people have complained about in the last year. And a lot of it, dare I say, comes back to COVID-19, where uh, an instructor, or a tester, I should say, warned a candidate not to cough. If there was even a single cough, the test would be called off. And she had asthma, so that wasn't exactly very fair, and it put her under extra pressure, she complained. Others, because of the need for ventilation, uh, the heater was turned up full, they found that distracting, and it's generally around COVID. I don't see anything in this, a little bit of rudeness, of course, but generally it's all the consequence of COVID that is being complained of. Anyway, moving on. If you have the trampoline in the back garden still, you might want to tie it down, buy a few weights, or else put it in the shed, because Storm Barra is coming through. And he's going to bring a right mixture of stuff. Even some snow, perhaps, on higher ground. 
He's going to move over the country, particularly tomorrow into Wednesday. This is an Atlantic depression and they are forecasting strong winds. That's the main concern, perhaps up to 130 kilometers per hour, which is about 80 miles an hour in old money, a little over. And an orange weather warning being issued for some counties. Hopefully, in the middle of the country as we are, we will avoid the worst of that. Ralph Rangnick is off to a great start at Manchester United. We'll have your full sports review from 20 past 11. But he's come in, uh, two games, two wins, a uh, very good result against Crystal Palace, 1-0, trying his formation of 4-2-2-2, uh, two, 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 and it's a very demanding formation, especially for uh, the two tens. And he has praised Ronaldo in particular um, for adopting his style so freely and so successfully and well early days of course but if you're a man united supporter are you taking a bit of joy a bit of relief from ranyek's performance and influence so far he'll certainly be in the money if he makes a success of this uh, but perhaps not as much as george clooney the irish times tells us how george was once offered 35 million dollars for one day's work Seriously, 35 million a day. And he turned it down. You know you are rich when you can turn down 35 million dollars. He says it was for an advertisement for an airline based in a country that was a little bit dodgy. And he thought, if it takes a minute's sleep away from me, it's not worth it. I'd lose a minute's sleep for a tenner. I don't know about you. Anyway, George says he wasn't prepared to do it and he has many other roles to consider and yeah, yeah, whatever, George, he just turned down 35 million quid. Did you see the Sunday Independent yesterday, by the way? David Killian appeared in it from Clohan in County Offaly and he was interviewed by Neve Horan about his weight loss and he admitted that at one point he was 40 stone. This is a very difficult conversation to have, especially so publicly. He even had to use a cattle scales to determine his weight. But he is one of many, many Irish people who have hopped on board a plane and travelled to Turkey to have surgery to try and deal with their weight loss. And Turkey is apparently treating 30 Irish patients every month. And the main reason is it's so expensive to have the procedure privately here in Ireland. And if you are waiting for the public system to come around, well, you will be waiting a very, very long time indeed. Two or three other stories, very quickly. Congratulations, massive congratulations to Tolu McKay, the Tullamore singer-songwriter, who has been named Best Female Artist at the Black and Irish Awards in Dublin. It's been a sterling year for her, which began, actually, New Year's Eve, that appearance on RTE when she performed the Saw Doctors classic, N17, and now caps it off with this latest award, one of many she's picked up this year. And the Irish Examiner tells us how two hippos have COVID-19. These are hippos in Antwerp Zoo in Belgium, and their symptoms are runny noses, and they have been put into quarantine as a precaution. 
even the hippos are in trouble with it now. Will they be restricted? Won't be allowed in the pool, probably. And a final one, uh, doggies. Doggies can now take an antidepressant. It's basically Prozac. Why on earth would you want to give antidepressants to your dogs? Is this a serious story? Or are we just taking psychiatry and animals far too far? Well, we'll actually talk to Des Groom, our resident vet, about this a little later. Because some animals, unfortunately, end up in households, in different settings, where it's just not suited to them. If you've got a high-energy dog and you're in, unfortunately, a, a very small apartment complex, you've got a stamp of a back garden, you might, might not even have a back garden, it might only be a balcony. It's totally unsuitable for the animal and they genuinely can develop depression. But is giving them a tablet the answer or should you just find them a new home? We'll be back to that one a little bit later. So, the restrictions announced by the theatre on Friday evening. Over the Christmas period, nightclubs will be closed. Well, if everything goes to plan, they will reopen on the 9th of January, but of course, everything is a moving target right now. Also, the requirement for COVID passes will be extended to gyms, leisure centres, hotel bars and restaurants. All bars and restaurants must revert to the situation prior to the 22nd of October. They still have to maintain one metre between tables. There will be a maximum of six adults per table. No multiple table bookings will be permitted, so Christmas parties effectively gone there. And there will be a maximum capacity for entertainment, cultural, community and sporting events indoors of 50% capacity. And if you're planning to have the neighbours around, gatherings in homes are to be restricted to four households. That's the maximum number. Now, let's just take a range of views on how this is going to impact and how workable it is. First, Brendan Darcy runs the Blackthorn Pub in Dangan in County Offaly. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How workable is this economically for you? It's workable, well, um, we, I suppose we were used to it at this stage here, before the 22nd, we had that whole system in place, and to be fair, we're getting huge um, local support, people don't travel into the bigger towns as much, so they are supporting their local pub, and which is, which is great satisfaction from us, you know, after all the effort we put in and stuff, you know. How much of a lift did you get after the 22nd of October when the restrictions had been eased that bit more? Uh, I wouldn't even say we got a lift, Will, because it gave people more choice, I suppose, and uh, we wouldn't... Uh, you know, the 20, up to 22nd, it, it was more local um, amenity, and after that, then, people start, started moving into bigger towns and, I suppose, weekends away and whatever... Um, so we didn't find much of a rise after that. We we were we were we were okay. Like we have to work with what we have with this pandemic, and it seems to be an ongoing thing. We don't know where this is all going to finish. So we're we're dealing with that. And to be fair to Pascal, I don't know who like he he's given us great support along the way, as in the wage subsidy scheme or, or CUSS, whatever. Like you know, he's not leaving local business unwanted. Uh, you know, left on high and dry kind of thing. So. Like, we are getting, you know, the help is there, you know, and it's just for us to keep the pubs open now and for everyone to work together on that. And 
No, I'm I'm okay with it, Will, to be honest now, you know, because we have to just have, have to work within what's there, you know, like everybody else. I suppose every public in circumstances will be different. You don't have a nightclub upstairs, for instance, a nightclub in Dangan. No, 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 no. no Dangan wouldn't be a nightclub venue area. <laughs> so it's the local pub, it's the local GA clubs and societies, they're all, you know, like to meet and whatever, and we're glad to see everyone coming in. And to be fair, I suppose, this time around, since we opened um, August Bank Hall the weekend, my wife Aggie opened up a kitchen and, um, you know, and that's definitely helping the situation. Weekends, whether it be families coming in for a Sunday lunch or whatever, or Saturday morning breakfast or, you know, and coffees. And so, yeah, it's we approach it from a whole different direction from... from um, the end of July, bank holiday weekend. Look, it's a whole new era now, and we have to get ready for this. And yeah, the support is there, and we're still working within. But I suppose this time around, like um, I suppose the government was trying to give us these dates as soon as possible. Well, it left us and every other pub like uh, forward thinking into Christmas and into New Year. Like we're just by now, we should have um, like our Christmas completely in order, our stock like increasing our stock uh, purchase and stuff, which is only starting now, which is putting us under a bit of pressure there. And I'd be always kind of working towards events into the new year. Um, don't know where I stand there yet because going down the tracks after the holidays, what's going to happen, this new variant. So we're just, it's nearly week to week, well, to be honest with you, with entertainment and everything else, it's just kind of week to week still, you know. I suppose, to be fair, even two weeks ago, the new variant was something most of us hadn't heard of. So exactly, uh, yeah, it's the yeah. virus that keeps um, changing the plans. Brendan, appreciate your time. There. Thanks, Bill. Okay, thank you. Thank you indeed. Brendan Darcy from the Blackthorn in Dangan. Now, maybe your experience as a publican or as a restaurateur, or if you're working in entertainment, you're not as relaxed about the restrictions and, and maybe it's impacted more harshly on you, in which case... 0818-300-103, that's the number to call. The Department of Education this morning announced revised restrictions and revised instructions for older children who would be wearing masks. And last week, it had directed that schools should refuse to admit children if they declined to wear a mask without medical reasons. But in fresh guidance in the last few hours, the department says it is not intended that any child will be excluded from a school in the first instance. So what does that really mean then? If a child isn't going to wear the mask, do they go in and congregate with everybody else? Well, let's tease this out with Circa Clark. She's the Sinn Féin TD in Longford, Westmeath. Deputy Clark, good morning. Good morning, Will. What do you understand the position to be now? At the moment, there still is some level of lack of clarity. Now, I was speaking with two principals this morning and that, that level of frustration that had been expressed last week has come down somewhat, but there still is no absolute clarity here. And I, I want to be very clear on something, Will. Schools want kids at their desks. They want them in school building. They want them learning. They are not in the business of exclusion. And what the department said last week, which was backed up by Minister Foley on national radio, 
it really puts schools in an incredibly difficult position where on one hand, a number of weeks ago, we, we knew from um, principals across the country they were having phenomenal difficulties in getting in contact with public health and in contact with the Department of Education. And they were then put in this role of enforcement of rules that just simply weren't going to happen. I did hear Minister Foley say that even if a child wore glasses, that they could go to the GP to get a certificate of exemption. But on the other hand, we had GPs kind of saying, well, well, hang on a second now, when did this all happen? And nobody spoke to us, nobody asked us. And GPs are already operating beyond capacity with the normal health needs of their of their um, communities and the added pressure of covid simply didn't have guidelines, time or capacity to be able to issue these exemptions for children who did need it from wearing face masks. And I mean, we're left in a position where nobody really knew what it was that was going to happen. We'd some schools who were taking a very dogmatic approach to it and saying, well, this is what we've been told, this is what we're going to be enforcing. We'd other schools that were saying, you know, we're going to come at this from a common sense point of view in some regard, but we are ultimately going to work with the department and their guidelines. So today, that seems to have abated somewhat, but there still isn't absolute clarity. So, if a child, for non-medical reasons, maybe they're just uncomfortable or whatever, if they refuse to wear the mask, what is the school to do? Well, that, I just, just be clear here, moment. the vast majority of parents are trying their best to, to, to facilitate and to work with the schools and the Department of Education about this. We know that COVID is in our schools, and I say that both as a TD and as a parent. We know it's there. We know the figures are shown that there's an increasing caseload within this, within this age group. So what I have been told, and bear in mind this, this is only out a couple of hours, the principals that I spoke with, where a child can, they will be asked to wear a mask. Where it is clear to the teacher or to the principal that the child is becoming increasingly distressed because of the mask or because of another incident, let's be honest, kids get upset in school all the time, mm. that they will be allowed to take off the mask, but they will be encouraged to put it back on. But there will be none of this, if you don't put on your mask there, little Jimmy, we're going to ring your mammy and you're being sent home. Now, I think... The schools are doing their very best. The responsibility for this lies absolutely with the Department of Education. It should have been clearer. There should have been better engagement and there should have been a coherent and logical plan put in place for how we manage COVID in schools. Nobody is naive enough to think that it isn't in their schools, despite the government stopping the contact tracing. We know that it's there. We know from looking at parents' WhatsApp groups that they are taking it upon themselves to do their own contact tracing where one of their own children is a confirmed case. But the responsibility for this needs to go back to the Department of Education and for once they need to be very clear with parents and they need to be very upfront and very honest with principals as to what the rules are and what's been expected of them. Circa Clark, appreciate your time. She's the Sinn Féin TD in Longford, Westmeath. Now, 0818 300 103, the Midlands 103 comment line. Remember that because you have an amazing prize this week. Compliments of the Killy Community Centre Development Association. And they've taken on a mammoth task. They want to raise a huge amount of money for the community centre to develop one in Killy. And it would have a huge benefit for community gatherings, for mother and baby meetings, school plays, concerts, dances, whatever we can get back to concerts and dances. But looking to the future, that's what the group wants to achieve. So they've gathered hundreds of euro worth of vouchers from local companies, the likes of Anthony's Wooden Crafts, Chadwick's Hardware, 
Tom and Jerry's Bar and Restaurant in Balnagar, the King Oak in Tullamore, the list goes on. And those prizes can be yours and 10 free tickets to the draw for a house in Enfield. Yes, they're giving away an actual, real bricks and mortars house in Enfield. And if you don't want to move to Enfield, they'll give you €300,000 instead. So, those vouchers and those 10 free tickets, that is the top prize this week on the Midlands Today Show. And very soon I'll be telling you more about how you can win. You've heard of Prozac. It's used to treat humans. And if you're feeling depressed and you've had long-term symptoms of depression, your doctor may well consider it. But now it's been licensed for use in dogs and it's sold under the brand Reconcile. And it says it's used to treat dogs who are feeling blue or maybe missing their owners. Really? If the dog is feeling this way, is there a natural way it can be addressed? Let's ask Des Groom. He's a vet at Groom Pet Vets in Kildare. Good morning, Des. Hi, Will. Good morning to you. So talk to us about why a dog might become depressed to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they don't become depressed is the simple answer. But, but they have very different natural needs and they have a very different uh, way of thinking about the world c- compared to people. Um, so depression and anxiety are two words from human mental health which are transferred across uh, into animal behaviour uh, animal behavioural science, uh, um, erroneously or wrongly, in my opinion. Um, so, in an attempt by people to understand their dog's behaviour, and in an attempt by vets and animal behaviourists to explain animal behaviour to the owners, words like depression and anxiety are used to try and give people an explanation and a guideline. But they're used wrongly because animals have very different instincts and very different ways of thinking about the world than we do, and they have very different needs. Um, so I personally have a problem, an ethical problem, with the licensing of Prozac for dogs because my problem with the licensing of this drug in this case is that I'm very much afraid that it will be misused uh, because I think it's already being misused. Um, and the misuse of it um, is not fair to the animals and it's not ethical. And the problem with it is that when you put a, an animal on a drug like that, you're not giving them a chance to express their natural behaviours and express their natural instincts, and you're just giving giving a, 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 the human owner a quick fix to, to a problem that they should be able to address in some other way. Well, I was trying to imagine a situation, and for the lack of a better term, we're going to say in which an animal might become depressed, and mm. I was thinking if they were left on their own for long periods and they were a naturally sociable breed or if they were a high-energy dog and they were in this stamp-sized back garden and never got out for a walk, never got exercise. How might that manifest? What would it look like? Yeah, well, they're very simple situations that you describe, exactly like that, Will, those situations. And people overcomplicate animal behaviour. And it, 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 the dogs are not that complex. They have simple enough needs. Um, as you say, they're pack animals, so they need socialisation. Um, and they usually come from a working background. They have an active working instinct, so they need to be kept busy. So when those needs to socialise and those needs to be kept busy are not being met, 
as, as you, which is the question you ask, what they do is they become destructive. So they start digging. They might, they, they might go around the garden in circles and start digging up plants, uh, much to the chagrin and annoyance of the owners. Um, they might start um, uh, harming property in the garden. Um, they, they, they might think it's, it's a nice game to, to chew a hole in the garden shed or chew a hole in the gate. Uh, they invent games, they invent ways of keeping themselves busy, which unfortunately are would be called destructive behaviours but by the owners. So that's one thing they do. Another thing they'll do is if they're indoors, they'll run around in circles and they'll knock over furniture and they'll chew furniture and they'll bark incessantly at the windows and things like that. And those behaviours then are called anxiety. But really it's frustration and boredom is what is a, 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 more, a more correct term in my opinion. So rather than prescribing a tablet, is the answer stimulation? Yeah, it is, Will. And animal behaviour is overcomplicated. And as I say, dogs are not that simple. They have natural needs based on the need to socialise and the need to, the need to be exercised more. So stimulation is the answer. A, a, a lot of people are buying lovely, well-bred, uh, highly active dogs like Golden Retrievers and Vizslas and German Shepherds and these sort of breeds. And they're keeping them in, in small, enclosed urban situations where they're not getting enough exercise and they're not being kept busy. So a dog that's bred to work is intelligent and needs to be stimulated and kept busy and those needs are not being met and then they're being misinterpreted and labelled uh, labelled as, as, as bad behaviours or labelled as destructive or labelled as anxiety when really what they need is more exercise, more socialisation and if necessary to be rehomed to an environment that suits them. There are certain parallels, though, aren't there, where people are encouraged to exercise. It releases the feel-good endorphins. Again, if you have a, a clean lifestyle, you're probably going to at least have a healthier body and maybe even a healthier mind. Um, but there can be circumstances, you know, for instance, some people suffer from seasonal affective disorder, a lack of sunlight, lack of vitamin D. Is there any equivalent in dogs? Um, the equivalent behaviours would, would just stem from b b being kept in urban environments or um, just not being given enough attention. Um, so they, they, dogs will become aggressive uh, because of frustration and be, because of boredom, be, because of, of lack of socialisation, uh, not meeting enough people. They, they, so they can behave aggressively through fear or through, through, uh, through boredom. Uh, sometimes it's not experiencing certain situations and meeting the unknown. Unknown situations can, can cause them to behave aggressively, w w which is misplaced aggression, mis misguided aggression. Um, now, we, we call a lot of these behaviors, these sort of things might be called separation anxiety or, or, or whatever, but, but even separation anxiety can be easily remedied with enough exercise and enough stimulation. So r rather than um, prescribing these medications, to, to the owner for the sake of handiness. Really, as vets, we should be having very firm, straightforward conversations with these people and, and asking them, should you be keeping this dog? Um, can you organise um, more, more exercise? Can you get this dog to a daycare centre on the days that you have to go to work early yourself? Um, can you organise play dates with another dog? Um, you also have to look at diet. So you mentioned what type of disorders, how do they manifest themselves? So a lot of the modern pet foods are very high energy. 
They're very tasty, so they're high in sugar and they're high in additives to make them palatable so that the dogs will eat plenty of them, so that more of them are sold. And they're packaged very attractively and they're packaged almost like sweets or almost like, like fast food. So feeding these high-energy, very active dogs, um, a, a, a lot of the wrong uh, supermarket pet foods can cause these bad behaviours as well. Because if you fill them with too much carbohydrate, too much sugar, then they will behave badly. Just as young children who are fed who are fed fed badly will behave badly. Sounds like a tablet isn't the answer then. Tablet isn't the answer. No, it's the realization that their natural needs need to be met by more exercise, more socialization, maybe using doggy daycare centres, uh, using the, the members of the family to come and walk the dogs more often, and um, making sure that you have the right dog for where you live and the right dog for your lifestyle. All of these things. Look, there are parallels in, in terms of talking about uh, the dog's mental health and our own mental health, you know. I think some of these antidepressants are probably prescribed inappropriately to people too instead of conversations uh, about exercise and diet and lifestyle and reducing alcohol and all of these things. The parallels are there in that th- th- these drugs are a handy quick fix, but... Um, they're, they're, they're not an ethical answer, in my opinion. Des, much to reflect on. Appreciate your time and thank you. Look, great conversation. Thank you. Des Groom from Groom Pet Vets. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today. Storm Barra. Everything you can expect and what to plan for over the next 48 hours or so. Also, in a moment, are the best drivers really in Burr? I'm sure if you're in Burr, you'd say absolutely, as you feel confident behind your wheel. But does the RSA, the Road Safety Authority, need to ask its testers to be more consistent around the country? And this email from Paul. He says, hi, Will. I hope you can help me with a problem. I'm curious what your listeners would say. My girlfriend has started an OnlyFans account. And I'm quite uncomfortable about this. Paul isn't his real name, by the way. He says, we've been together for over a year, and according to her, it's a very handy way of making extra cash. And she can't understand why I don't want her to do it. She is in a good job. She doesn't need this extra money. And I believe she will regret it later in life. It'll come back to haunt her, especially if she has children. And I don't like the thought of my friends seeing her half-naked either, if I'm honest. And we've been arguing about this quite a bit. So, a little bit later, we'll try and answer Paul's question. Uh, I'd like your opinion. We'll get some expert views as well from around half-past eleven. Now, driving tests... If you happen to take your test in Burr in County Offaly, there is a 7 out of 10 chance you will pass. It is the highest rate in the country except for Clifton in Galway. However, there are some test centres in the country where the pass rate is less than half. So there's a big variation. And what explains this? Does the Road Safety Authority need to have a long, hard conversation with its testers about greater consistency? Well, Ray O'Connor from Rock Solid Driving School in Port Arlington has been giving his views to Midlands 103's Robert Fahey. 
There is certain areas, yes. Uh, Bor has only one roundabout in it. Now, I'm not familiar with Bor as I don't walk over there, but uh, from what I'm told with other instructors, there's only one roundabout in the town, and it's it's a very easy town to pass in. And an awful lot of students opt for that area. So roundabouts then, is that something that uh, trips people up on tests? Yeah, roundabouts uh, can be a, a bit of a nemesis for uh, certain students. Um, they're unsure of when to move, we say, and, and uh, when they get to the roundabout, you know, and they're probably holding up an awful lot of marks are lost for progress. Maybe they're not moving when they're supposed to be moving. And it's only a few students can actually read them actually correctly. They're actually very easy to negotiate if people can read the road. Um, they're, they're designed to keep traffic moving, as you know, but uh, people don't do that. They're stopping unnecessarily, and an awful lot of fender benders happen at that because the guy behind us is, is, is expecting the car in front to be going on when there's nothing on his right, and yet there's ending up crashes uh, unnecessarily. So definitely if people are booking their test, uh, <laughs> try and book an area of their locality that doesn't have too many roundabouts is what we're learning anyways. Well, yeah, as I, as I walk in Port Leash now, and with a town that has nearly 56 of them over there, you know, you would, you would definitely want to know your roundabouts on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. All right. Is there like other little things that, that trip people up in, in your area that you've noticed? Um, I see an awful lot of people don't stop anymore at stop signs. You know, uh, they're running stop signs and treating them as, as if they were roundabouts. They're just yielding, maybe slowing down, come, rolling through the junction. I get you, yeah, that seems like something that's very straightforward. Um, if we just look at some of the other areas then, we'll say that might have some of the lower pass rates. There's obviously certain areas of, of Dublin, uh, Nina in Tipperary, uh, Muddle Huddert also on the outskirts of Dublin as well. You probably have colleagues as well that you've spoken to in Dublin. People are always aware that, uh, I know I have mates from Dublin who say, oh, you're, you're blessed that you did your test in Sligo or in Burr or wherever because it's a lot harder to, to get the pass up here in Dublin. Is that something that uh, testers are aware of too? honestly couldn't say but I know when I became a driving instructor 11 years ago i done all my training up in the airport driving school in Finglas and I never have driven in Dublin before that I've been a, a country boy uh, so I, I, I passed all my exams first time up there I think it's the tuition that you get and if you listen and learn to what these guys are saying to you you know if you have the heart to pass you will pass but you can only be shown so much the rest is up to you Look in a more uh, general sense while I have you like I know a lot of people that I spoke to vowed to kind of say learn to drive during the pandemic and things like is it something that you've noticed that there was an uptick in the amount of bookings that you've been receiving over the last uh, 12 months since you've been able to go back uh, doing lessons absolutely uh, when the pandemic struck in March uh, and when, when uh, Leo Varadkar closed the country last year in March um, as you know everyone was shut down and we were all at home and I went back to work in July uh, of last year 2020 and when, when the RSA started doing tests on a smaller scale, and I, we haven't stopped working since. We've been on the go long before vaccines came out, our masks were made mandatory, and we're sitting this close to people, and we were going solid from July of last year. And what kind of, uh, say, regulations do you have in place in, in your own vehicle? Or I know you've been out uh, on the road already this morning, so what do you ask students to do before they get into the car? Um, well, I... I just the general things I do in between each, I have the um, the, the hand sterilizer in the car and um, I, I sanitize the car in between each lessons. This morning now I was in a student's car, so I just clean my own hands getting into their car. Does it make things a little bit more awkward though, even in terms of, 
giving out instructions through masks or if students are say slipping their masks or slipping and they're trying to fix it things like that that they have to be aware of while they're driving but also we'll say as a if you're trying to impersonate a tester we'll say and you're you're adjusting your mask while you're driving is that something that's been accounted for in general uh, yeah um, I have students that their masks actually slip up and down and it's no fault of their own they, they, they can be a nuisance sometimes the masks depending on what they have uh, but my rule is when I'm in a car no matter what car I'm in a student's car my car the driver's window is down halfway and the passenger window is down halfway that it's fully ventilated for the hour Alright well that's uh, I suppose a, a novel way of uh, dealing with things um, just yeah. as well just with the uh, Learners, have you noticed, is there like a particular, like have older people decided to try and learn to drive during lockdown? Because I know, again, that was something that was talked about at the start. A lot of people taking up new things. Um, I've only had one or two now older people um, that, that actually come to me, but it's mostly young people now uh, that are coming um, learning to drive. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's only one or two, as I said, that would be over 60 uh, that have set in with me. And... Other than that, no. I, I, unless now other instructors have older students, I couldn't tell. Okay, fair enough. Well, so look, what, uh, what we've learned is basically avoid uh, Port Leash and its 56 roundabouts and maybe try and get uh, to, to Burr if you're uh, local to there to do your test because well, roundabouts uh, are the slip-ups. Uh, Tullamore is one of the better structured towns for a test. I always encourage students to go to Tullamore because it's, it's a better structured town for a test. Um, and the pass rate is pretty good over there as well. Um, so my my recommendation would always be Tullamore. Um, and uh, as you know, I'm living in Port Arlington, so Port Leash is closer to me, but I'd rather make the journey to Tullamore, which is a half an hour away, than, you know, have a student go to a town that they wouldn't be sure of and then fail their test. And something, you know. something that I was always told um, in the lead up to my driving test is try and get a test in the early part of uh, of the year rather than the later part of the year. Is that just an old wise tale? It is. It is. Um, like uh, I, I have my own website there now, and, and an awful lot of students there opt to do a now photo gallery of me when they pass their test. So it's immaterial what time of the year. If you're if you're at test standard, you know it doesn't matter what time of the year you will pass. They're not there to fail you. The testers are not there to fail you. They just want to see, can you do it right? Are you a safe driver? Are you a competent driver? Because that's what they're giving you, is a, t- a certificate of competency. Can you be trusted on your own? And the thing is, they, they only have a half an hour to decide that. You know, we're with students for 12-plus EDT lessons, you know, um, and we get to know their driving habits. But a tester has only a half an hour to decide. So that's Ray O'Connor from Rock Solid Driving School in Port Arlington. Speaking there with Midlands 103's Robert Fahey. Goodness, I had no idea there were that many roundabouts in Port Leash. When you drive around, yes, you know there are a lot. 56 of them. Yeah, I don't even think, and again, 1998, December 1st, it's forever etched in my memory and I did it in Nace. I'm not even sure I encountered one roundabout. So do roundabouts alone explain why... Burr would have a 70% pass rate and other centres have less than half of people getting through. What's been your experience? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Next, what to expect from Storm Barra. Some winter storms huff and puff for an hour or two and you wake up the next morning wondering, what was all the fuss about? It doesn't look like Storm Barra is going to be one of those. It's going to be a longer-lived event. 
Let's get the latest forecast from Cahill Nolan, who runs the uh, Ireland's Weather Channel on Facebook. Morning, Cahill. Very good morning, Will. So give us a uh, give us a profile of Storm Barra. So at the moment, Storm Barra is a very shallow area of low pressure located I would say we're in about 500, 700 kilometres off the Irish coast. Now, it's deepening phenomenally quickly. It's currently, I think, at a pressure level of about 107 hectopascals. It's expected to get down to about 953 hectopascals, so a phenomenal drop in pressure within 24 hours' time as it approaches Ireland. It'll bring with it particularly strong winds to, I think, counties Clare, Cork and Kerry in particular. These areas could see gusts in excess of 140 up to 150 kilometres per hour for a time. Certainly, I think in these areas, we probably will see a status red warning issued. Across other parts of the country, for the Midlands ourselves, we're talking about wind speeds at its peak between about 100 to 120 kilometres per hour. Probably the strongest of the winds across the Midlands will come in two swathes. So we'll have one particular swathe of strong winds coming in tomorrow morning between around about, I would say, 8 a.m. up until around about midday, up until about 12. The storm centre itself then positions itself directly across the Midlands. So while we will still have gusty winds, they won't be quite as strong due to the centre of the low, basically, if you can imagine it. The eye of the storm, let's say, is situated directly across the Midlands. And then as we go through tomorrow evening into tomorrow night, we'll see a second swathe of very strong winds, again up to 110, 120 kilometres per hour, pushing in from the northwest at that particular point in time. Another issue with this particular storm will be, given that it's such a low pressure, and given that there's such a high swell in advance of it, and that it's occurring at a time where we've kind of peak high tides, areas along the south, the southwest coast, up the west coast in particular, they're likely to experience, I think, coastal flooding as well in many parts. So the storm certainly carries with it quite a number of threats. Inland, are we likely to see much in the way of rain, perhaps even wintry showers? So initially, as the front comes in, we do expect to see possibly some sleet, some hill snow falling in places, some very heavy rain expected initially as the storm system pushes in. But certainly I think the main kind of issue that we have to focus on is certainly the certainly the wind speeds. As the low pressure itself is situated directly across the country, there will be heavy squally showers, a risk of thunderstorms in some places. So certainly extremely inclement weather. All right, we know what to prepare for. As always, Cahill, thank you very much indeed. He runs Ireland's Weather Channel on Facebook. He is a qualified meteorologist from Road in County Offaly. Wind, and that seems to be the main threat in two swathes from Storm Barra. Back to restrictions. Will, I just want to say that myself and my friends went to the well over the weekend, and it was really, really sad to see the staff and the owner, so heartbroken. I cannot understand why people of our age cannot carry on dancing, is the message here. Will, does it make any sense to grit the roads at six in the evening and then to have the rain wash it all away? This is from John in Moat, who believes Westmeath County Council committed such a waste of money. Over to WhatsApp and what messages are coming in. Will, Circuit Clark, negative again, the Shinners questioning everything, and yet they were unavailable on Saturday morning when Liam Dumpleton asked about their shotgun golf outing. Well, all parties seem to have questions about their fundraisers. Well, certainly the big three, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, James in Leash. 
says, Our lotto jackpot is a bit like those hippos. It must have COVID and be restricted. You'd think it is in isolation. Surely it would be all over by now. Yes, the lotto jackpot seems impossible to win at the moment. And we did have that story earlier about hippos in Antwerp Zoo in Belgium. They've runny noses and so the zookeepers tested them and lo and behold they have COVID. Who knew? Will, I hope your own COVID test comes back negative. That's from Jared in Port Arlington. Thank you. I'll let you know. And from Ray in Mullingar. And we'll be coming back to this story a little later. The listener whose girlfriend has an OnlyFans account, even though she has a perfectly good job, but she wants to make extra money and he's not comfortable with it. Ray says he should get over it. Would you be so understanding if you were in those shoes? Again, half past eleven, we'll tease this out in a bit more detail. Not sure if tease is the word that I should have used there. But anyway, it's done now. It is 26 minutes past ten. And Paddy wants to know if you've had this problem wherever you live. He's in Abbey Leaks, and he tried to withdraw cash from ATM machines over the weekend. Super Value's ATM was out of cash. Bank of Ireland's ATM, also out of cash. And the ATM in Cleland Supermarket, empty as well. And he's wondering, are we running out of money? Did you have the same problem wherever you live? I reckon it's probably your local billionaire, Paddy. Maybe Mr Collison was just taking out some small change from his bank account. Who knows? But yes, we will see if it's a more widespread problem or perhaps just, for whatever reason, Abbey Leaks ran low on money over the weekend. Well, regarding the high driving test pass rate in Burr, maybe Burr just has some very good driving instructors who prepare their students well. Exceptionally well, it would seem, if they are passing at a rate of 7 out of 10, when some test centres can't even manage a 50% pass rate. That is quite a difference. A few percent here and there, you could explain. But that's, that's a radical, radical variation. Now, in a few minutes' time, Netflix and Amazon Prime. Because it looks like we are going to have a quieter Christmas than we are used to. Not as much pub going, not as much celebrating. Certainly no heading out to the nightclub until two or three in the morning. So Netflix and chill, or whatever the Amazon Prime equivalent is, they are releasing many new series, many new films, much to watch over the festive period. And Kayleigh Hardiman has been selecting the creme de la creme, which she shall share with you in around ten minutes' time. But first, a wonderful story. And you can hear The Open Door with Anne-Marie Kelly every single Monday evening from 7, by the way, or in the Listen Back section of Midlands103.com. But this is a leechman who wants to draw attention to some ways in which the education system is failing us. And he grew up with autism and ADHD in Mount Rath. He was always put in the slow corner in class. But it turns out Colin McNamee is an exceptional learner. He has an IQ of 134. And today, he works for the multinational giant Salesforce. And it donates millions of euro towards education development. So he tells Anne-Marie how he broke through the system 
and he's been sharing his ideas to radically change the Leaving Cert model so there is a better focus on critical thinking and equality of opportunity. We live in a society where if you are outside the norm, you're usually, you know, you're cut down. You're brought back down to size. And I think that's such a disservice to everyone. I think we're all allowed to, uh, to flourish. If we're all allowed to, to show our own brilliance. And I think people you know, are brilliant in their own different ways. You know, I think everyone has something to, con- to contribute to society. And so on. Like everyone is an individual. We're all unique. We are encouraged not to be different, to conform. And don't stand out. Don't get noticed because if you're noticed, you'll be knocked down. There's a fear. I, I say it to, you know, to students sometimes, like, confidence comes from competence. So if you're really good at something, and you know you're really good at something, you will be confident about that. And if someone starts attacking that confidence, I say, hold on now. You know, objectively, subjectively, whatever way you want to do is, I'm really good at that. But you what know. if you're doing it to yourself? Well, say, that's self, self-sabotage. Like, I think ultimately, you know, we start off with external validation and you're right it is so important that we have external people validating us but it is meaningless unless we uh, internalize those lessons and understanding that you know i am worthy of of love and and respect because just because i am a human being again i love my ted talks there's a fantastic uh, american psychologist who studied uh, happiness for 10 years uh, brené brown during the course of my my own counseling some of these would have been recommended to me but she just said, like, we are all worthy of love and acceptance. And, but the acceptance, she talks about three different uh, concepts. Blame, blame, shame and guilt. They're three huge words, aren't they? And she explained them. And, like, you know, I, I had such an epiphany when she went through them. But said... This is the stuff we do to ourselves. This is the... Well, and what other people do to us as well. So that's where she talked about different. So she had no problem with guilt. She, like guilt is an emotion it's fine guilt is, is your, your body and your psyche telling you you've done a bad thing that you probably shouldn't have done and that's a healthy emotion guilt if you feel guilty about something and it's there to encourage you to improve your behaviour uh, blame is where uh, is where you've done something wrong but you're transferring the guilt onto someone else <laughs> and you see a lot of people doing that uh, right. but the last one is the most corrosive emotion of all and that's shame. And, you know, society taught me to be ashamed of myself. And that is where you feel that, not that you have done a bad thing, but you are intrinsically bad yourself. That's a very dark place to be, though, Colm. I mean, I, how do you train yourself away from it then? Because, I mean, that's, you, that's your learned experience as a young person, that your world is created there and then in the early years that you become that kind of person from what you've learned in your early life. But yeah, you but, now have to unlearn yeah. all that. But it happens more often than not. Like people don't understand about, about children and children's development. Like a lot of people think children are, are, are little adults. They're not. They have very concrete view. Like you said about me earlier on, like I had a very, you know, I was childlike in some ways. I just carried my childhood into more mature years. Maybe I, I, sh- I was trying to use the word pure. Mm. Which I associate with children. Children, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's important to understand that, you know, every time you say to a child that you're bad, they take that literally. You know, you might mean that they've done a bad thing. Right. But if you said that that's, you're bad, 
So it's a, it's a language. It's a language. Like you're, like you're literally saying it to them, you're bad. If you say something to someone for, for long enough, they will internalize it. So they they'll will think be, that... Yeah, I'm bad. Not that I've done a bad thing, but I am intrinsically bad myself. But can you heal from that stuff? Of course I mean, you can. You can. So but more than TED Talks, I'll call them. If people have put in as much counselling as they've done. <laughs> but, you know, you have to do the work as well. Like I said, you know, anything that, you know, if you can be programmed, you, it can be unprogrammed. You right, know? okay. And, and, and there is a pathway out there. But it, it starts with, first of all, acknowledging that, that something's wrong. That, you know, something that you, you feel you need to deal with. Shame, that's where shame lives. It lives in the places that we don't talk about. We think we're the only one. And, you know, you could be surrounded by people who feel the exact same way. We're talking about the education system itself. Do you ever, do you really see, do you see it taking a long time? I think it is a damning indictment that when a, a situation affects the, the society at large, brought about change, that people in minority groups like the disability community have been screaming about mm. for years. And the, the answer was, no, we can't do that. Like in, in yeah. the work sphere, oh no, we, you can't do virtual working. They said, you know, we, we couldn't tell whether you were playing, you know, ping Video pong games. or whether you're actually being productive. And what they're seeing is that we have become much more productive. The, the bigger problem now is actually uh, disengaging and separating your personal life from your professional yeah. life. We have this thing of, you know, you could, you could take a teacher from the 19th century, plop him into an English classroom now, and he'd do all right. Whereas if that was medicine or science or any other profession, that would not be acceptable. They'd, they'd be lost. They're, they're light years beyond it's where true. they need to be. Yeah. So how come education hasn't advanced with the times? How come we are still teaching our students and our children to, uh, like, they're saying half the roles that the next generation will be employed in don't exist yet. And we're teaching them for roles that we worked at 100 years ago. I want to see if Bridget has asked another question for you. The students of today, from the very start of their time in school, have heard of the Leaving Cert, whether it's in passing or in detail. Pretty much every Irish student knows what it is. What effect do you think getting rid of it would have on these students? I think it's a brilliant question. I think like the, the Leaving Cert for me in its current format is not fit for purpose. Again, it's predominantly written terminal exam, which for the most part is a test of people's memory and not the test of their understanding. So if you're, if you're gifted with a brilliant memory, you can regurgitate the right answers. Uh, it doesn't mean you understand a wish of what you've written, but you will get full marks. We're not preparing the next generation for the skills that I feel are important, and that's things like critical thinking, questioning, research skills. Like we now live in an era where you know, knowledge is available to everyone. It used to be that the doctor, the barrister, whoever, they, they derived their power from you know, knowledge that only they mm. understood or had access to. Yes. No, people can complain. Go to YouTube. <laughs> well, like, even within teaching, like, I don't see why we have to keep constantly reinventing the wheel. Sometimes we're very precious as teachers that we've created all these resources for our classes. And I'd be damned if I'm sharing it with anyone because I've created and I've put in the, I'm not given anyone else a free ride. But that goes against you know, you're denying your students your time and your resource or who you are. Uh, it's like not giving them the key. It's not giving them the key. So, so give them the skills that they need to succeed because everything that you've learned going into, like the, the skills that you need going into third level are completely different to, uh, to what you're supplied with in secondary school. Mm. 
the reaming off of, of having to learn off uh, theorems and rhymes. and So that it's almost like a robotic state. And then they have to actually go into a, a workplace after graduating. They can't use the learned experience because they haven't had it. Yeah. And they haven't, as you said, had critical thinking or being allowed to think outside the box. Mm, because the circle doesn't fit into the yeah. square. Yeah, it doesn't. And the more you try and force it, you know, you're just damaging both parties. You know, no matter how much positive mental attitude I have, if I'm a wheelchair user looking at stairs, isn't going to turn it into a ramp. <laughs> you know, no, no amount of a growth mindset will improve that situation. What's your point there? My point is that, you know, there's certain things we can do as individuals that we can change. It's that they have an expectation for society to meet us halfway. Okay. That, you know, you can't keep blaming, victim blaming people who who are marginalised by society, they had no hand actor part in designing. I heard a great expression recently and I absolutely love it. And I said, you know, I don't need anyone to lower the bar for me. I just need you to widen the gap a bit. Very well put. Very well put. That's Colin McDamay in conversation with Midlands 103's Anne-Marie Kelly. You can hear the open door in full from 7 o'clock this evening. And all the back editions are on midlands103.com. Now, Annie on WhatsApp says, Will many people do their driving test in a town where it is very straightforward? And Burr ticks that box. The te- But Bernie takes issue with that. She asks, why would you want to do your driving test in a town that you will probably rarely in? Because if you pass in Burr, for instance, and you're driving around Port Leash on a regular basis, you'll have very limited experience with roundabouts. So we should be encouraged to encounter these obstacles uh, if we're going to see them for the rest of our driving careers. Thank you, Bernie. And on the question of empty ATM machines, Paddy and Abby Leakes, you are not alone. Others have text to say it's quite often now that you come to the pass machine and there's no cash inside. And who knows, maybe the banks have decided to fill them up less often now that because of COVID we are encouraged more and more towards cashless transactions. But certainly something has changed, definitely. Now, next on Midlands 103, over Christmas, if you're planning to Netflix and chill or whatever, prime and dine, we have the definitive rundown of what to watch after these. Your local sports review is coming up in a few minutes' time. If you are a fan of Bayern Munich, by the way, Amazon Prime definitely has an option for you over the Christmas period. And indeed, uh, for other testosterone-infused programming, just watch The Grand Tour. It's back. But we start with Netflix, and probably one that the fellas won't be queuing up for, but it is definitely a rom-com for the ladies. A Castle for Christmas. Kayleigh Hardiman, take us through some of these. Yeah, so A Castle for Christmas just came out a couple of days ago on Netflix, and it stars Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes. And basically, it's a holiday romance set in Scotland. And Brooke Shields plays this... Um, successful novelist but she's kind of going through a difficult time um, she just released her latest novel and it's kind of gotten a lot of backlash um, after killing off the main character so she decides to go to Scotland to kind of go back to her roots because um, her, um, her family are from there so then she meets um, this man who owns uh, a castle and it turns out he's in quite uh, a difficult financial situation 
so she ends up uh, helping him and it's it's quite a nice story um uh, albeit a little bit predictable but I Yeah, I was about to say they fall in love in the end, don't they? Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am just guessing but it's all heading that direction, but it's still wholesome to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's it's something nice to watch in December and if you want to kill uh, an hour and a half, it's definitely ideal. All right. What else is on Netflix? Um, so if you are trying to just entertain uh, a couple of children, there's a nice uh, new comedy film um, out now called Mixtape. Um, it's set in the 90s and it stars Julie Bowen. So people will know her from Modern Family. She played Claire. And so basically it's about a 12 year old girl called Beverly. And she finds this uh, broken mixtape um, that was made by her parents and they actually died when she was two. So she doesn't really, oh. yeah, she doesn't know her parents or what they were like. So she just kind of decides that this is going to be her way to learn more about her parents and the kind of people they were. So it's it's quite a nice story. I actually started watching it last night myself. By the way, did you ever make a mixtape? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit too young for that now. <laughs> Yes, and you're making the rest of us feel old. All right. Um, I see there's one here starring Sandra Bullock, The Unforgivable. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the best ones now that I have that I would recommend to watch. Um, it's not out yet. It's out on Friday, but it stars Sandra Bullock, as you said, Vincent D'Onofrio and Viola Davis. So it's a new drama film and it stars um, Sandra Bullock as a woman who is kind of trying to rebuild her life after she um, leaves prison. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of I suppose it's kind of like similar to some of the things she's been in before. Um, but it's, it sounds quite interesting. She tries, tries to find her younger sister um, who she was split up from as well. So it sounds like there's a couple of different things going on in the story. Briefly then, if you're a fan of The Witcher, season two is out on the 17th. Emily in Paris, season two, out on the 22nd of December. Then for the kids, A Boy Called Christmas is out now. And also a movie out on the 6th, David and the Elves. Let's move on to Amazon Prime then. What jumps out on the other side? Um, So there's a new comedy series out already. Um, It's called Harlem. And it's from the writer who wrote Girls Trip. So people would probably know that film um, stars Jada Pinkett Smith. But this is kind of, I would say it's it's kind of like a younger Sex in the City kind of a vibe. So it follows four um, young women living in Harlem in New York. Um, one's a professor, um, one's a tech entrepreneur, one's a singer trying to make it um, and a fashion designer. So they're all kind of, um, early on in their careers and yeah, that indeed. kind of a yes, vibe. No, no prizes for guessing what inspired that. Is it, if you were a fan of Sex and the City, does it feel like you ordered it on Wish or is it decent? I think it's it's kind of more comedic than that, than that I would say. It's more comedy than drama, so I think it is a little bit different. Um, and it's I suppose it's a modern kind of a take as well, so I think it's worth watching. All right. Are you a Grand Tour fan? I actually would be a little bit myself. Um, I think the the three lads, Jeremy, Richard, and James, they're they're good at what they do, and I think the new um, the new special is going to be quite interesting because they're looking at French car culture. And they don't like the French Carnage à Trois. It's called. It's out on the seventeenth of December. It says an epic road trip in the Welsh hills, and well, you can imagine what they get up to. 
and then for football fans uh, Bayern Munich behind the legend that is out on Wednesday Kaylee, thanks as ever no problem thanks for having me on Will anyway still on the agenda today trying to solve this problem from a listener who's genuinely distressed his girlfriend has a good job but she wants to make money on the side through an OnlyFans account and he's very very uncomfortable with this. We've also, uh, since the start of the show, and since I first mentioned this, we've had another email, this time from Alison, who again is in a relationship quandary. She is vaccinated, but her recent boyfriend, and they're only together a short time, he is unvaccinated and determined to remain unvaccinated. Now, he's a very nice guy otherwise, but she doesn't know how to address this because she's just not comfortable, due to her family situation, having somebody unvaccinated around. Anyway, all of that from half past 11. Now, let's catch up on sport over the last seven days and all the big news from our sports editor, Robert Fahey. Morning, Rob. Morning, Will. Good to have you on the record about child labour all the same. <laughs> <laughs> let's we'll, move We'll swiftly, move swiftly on. on from that. Yes, we'll yes. Let's talk the... about Port Arlington and Kilmacud, if you don't mind. <laughs> we will indeed. So there'll be a lot of sore heads, I'd say, in Port Arlington this morning after they defeated St. Lomans in a Moor Park yesterday afternoon to reach the semi-finals of the Leinster Senior Club Football Championship. They'll be taking on Kilmacud Croaks. It's been fixed for next Saturday evening in uh, Crow Park. I was about to say Moor Park, but no, it's definitely Crow Park. A great day out for Port Arlington. So the game yesterday, though, will absolutely had everything you would want from a Leinster Senior game of this magnitude, like. A run of 1-3 without reply to start for uh, Port Darlington. St. Lomans eventually come back into it, get a goal of their own. Port Darlington go 20 minutes without a score at one point in the game as well. Like, I mean, slow starts have been a feature for St. Lomans mm. in, in 2021 throughout the Westmead uh, Senior Football Championship. Strong finishes too, though, and that's kind of what came to the fore here. A wise man once said to me, and you've probably heard this before as well, you are what you repeatedly do. And that's what St. Lomans proved in this game, that they were slow starters and strong finishers. Port Arlington, though, to their credit, when St. Lomans had that fight back in the second half and TJ Cox bagged a goal early and kind of put Port Arlington in the back foot, they set to the task of holding them off and did so with a plum. Like they got it back to one ten apiece at the second half water break. Did St. Lomans haven't been, I think, nine points down at one stage in the first half? So it was a really back-and-forth contest, like I said, something for the supporters to behold. Port Allenton boss Martin Murphy speaking to uh, Jerry Russell afterwards, relieved to get over the line and delighted for the support to have that big day out next week. Well, they, they had a couple of attacks there, ball dropping in the square, you know. It, it was always a fear if John Hesner or someone, a big man, got his fist to that, the ball was in the net, we were out of the Leinster Championship. But no, look at her lads stuck to their guns. A lot of people thought there wasn't much character in that team, but I have to say there's tremendous character in the Port Harrington team and uh, we're looking forward now to the Leinster semi-final against Kilmacud Crooks. It's huge success. Two, county, two leash titles back-to-back in the space of a couple of months. Now you're in a Leinster football semi-final. You know, you wouldn't be dreaming of that early on in the year. That's a thing of dreams, really. Uh, in fairness, to th- these these lads, we're together now with them for the last three years, and we've a really good management set up. Players have bought into what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to do. Uh, they've worked tremendously hard, even through COVID and through the lockdowns. And uh, you know, it's coming, to, it's coming to, to, to the fruit's coming to bear now. And uh, I think, in fairness, uh, if we can go to Croke Park and with that confidence of all we showed here today, that we'll give Kilmacud Crokes a good run at. It's a huge boost for the club and for the lads. To- 
know the lads that never played in Croke Park to get up there on the big stage in a game like that and play the Dublin Champions? Yeah, we, we well, I suppose we, we're, we're fortunate in a sense that, you know, it's not going to be all new to all our guys because there's between minor under-20s and, and senior, I think nearly all of our players have played with the county. Uh, but maybe not all have played in Croke Park, and uh, you know it's a, it's it's a big thing. It's it's a it's an exciting uh, weekend, I'd say, if coming ahead for for all the team and all of Port Arlington. I'm sure there'll be a huge crowd travelling up, from not just Port Arlington but Leash to to support us, and uh, we're really really looking forward to it now. Don't forget, Will, that was Port Arlington's first foray into Leinster Club football in 20-odd years. 2001 was the last time, even though they got to win the championship in Leash last year, they didn't get a run in Leinster. For, so for all those players to, to step up on what's been a new occasion for them against a team with St. Lomans who have such pedigree at Leinster level, having reached the final in 2017 and done well throughout the years every time they've, they've made a run in Leinster. So it was a really significant achievement uh, for Port Arlington. And they'll really look forward to having a cut-off Kilmacud Croaks next week. Who's going to do a man-marking job in Paul Mannion? That'll be the yeah, question. Yeah, Paul Mannion is definitely the difference maker. If you look at that game against Wolf Tones, he had six points, five from play. And that was essentially the difference. It was. And he's really ripped up the Dublin uh, Senior Football Championship this year. Like every single team that they've played en route to the, the final and subsequently winning it at Kilmacud has struggled to man-mark Paul Mannion. Some people have thrown two players on him and still not done the job. And the thing is, they're a talented team throughout the spine as well so even if you do get a job done on Paul Mannion there's still plenty of other players there who can like really hit you where it hurts and that's going to be something for Martin Murphy to ponder now over the next uh, seven days or so but you'll think that he'll fancy the way they match up physically against the Dublin side so hopefully now they can put their best foot forward next week when they get into the big stage in Crow Park. Uh, is it next week or is it on the 18th? I've it, seen different dates floating around. Uh, well that, that'll be confirmed uh, some of the games are moving around due to the, the hurling and how games are being delayed and things like that so it's fixed at the moment for the 18th but uh, it might be brought forward as well so we'll have to see on that one Leinster GA will probably confirm that uh, later on I think it's 5pm is the, the throwing time they've said definitely Alright um, where to next Robbie? We'll just uh, take a bit of reaction from St. Lomans because obviously it was a, a very important day for them as well and for, for Declan Kelly he was just lamenting their ability to keep the scoreboard ticking on the day Like when you consider us always the, the lead that we gave Port um, it, took a fair, it took a fair effort to, for, the, for them to get back into the game and, and to go pint up again you know and we've done that and I suppose teams get, get those periods. You, you get those periods of 10 or 15 minutes maybe where you get on top. And yeah, we've we, we, we done well there, but we probably just couldn't get that. We got the point up. We probably needed to push on maybe to two or three, and it just didn't happen there, you know. And a few easy scores maybe missed in the opening half as well. Yeah, probably that was the one thing we would have looked at, probably even at half time there, possession wise, and that when both teams were much the same. But, but yeah, the one thing we would have alluded at half time, that was our our conversion rate wasn't good enough there, it wasn't high, it wasn't where it needed to be and um, yeah, we probably could have had a couple more scores on the board by, by half time as well, yeah. I suppose a few mistakes on both sides were made but a few maybe on your side as well, the, the short kick out maybe caused the goal and then there was a pass or two into straight that other times they mightn't. Yeah, yeah, like I suppose, when, I, I suppose when you get to this level, when you get outside in the Leinster club and that like, those type of mistakes were punished, Jerry, like on, on, on both teams, that's just the way it is and it's, You'll probably see the team that makes the less, the less sort of forced errors are the ones that probably will win out. And yeah, we, we just, we just probably didn't conversion rate probably wasn't where it needed to be at the overall over the sixty minutes. You know. Now look, the big question now for Lomans will be the future of Declan Kelly. Obviously, they'll be going for three in a row next year in Westmead. He's going to be involved with the Offaly under twenties again next year. So he's a lot in his plate and. 
afterwards I know he was kind of being a bit coy you know about whether he'll commit again next season and it is a lot of commitment everyone knows in the club scene as well but I'd imagine everyone in St. Lomans will be hopeful that his schedule will allow him to continue in the job because he's done a really good uh, job with them since he's taken over there Quick word on the hurling championship uh, indeed, yeah, we'll just round up some of the other uh, fixtures. So the Leinster Intermediate Club Hurling Championship, Claudia Gales, obviously successful against Kildalki of Mead. They'll take on Wexford opposition away next Saturday in the semi-final there, so a big day out. In the Club Intermediate Football Championship, wins for Clara against St. Pat's of Dublin. They put up a good score. They'll have home advantage against Kilcock in the semi-finals on December 18th in that grade. Unfortunately, there was defeats for Park Rathaniska and for Tang in that grade. In the Junior Hurling Championship, a win for Shamrocks 218 to 3 points over Boardsmill of Mead really convincing there they'll take on Maynooth in the semi-finals next Saturday as well Maynooth were uh, 118 to 110 victors over Trumra in the junior football ranks a uh, win for your neck of the woods Clonblogue 113 to 214 over Glen Emmets of Loud and Castletown Finea Cool and Whitehall uh, overcame St Marks of Dublin 310 to 28. So O'Loughlin Gales of uh, Kilkenny versus Clonblogue and Castletown Finea Cool Whitehall against Kilcullen of Kildare. Both those games semi-final stage are on December 18th. So uh, that's kind of a roundup of the men's side of things in the GAA. At the Excellent. Weekend. A lot to look forward to. Um, in the last couple of hours, some breaking news about a revised proposal B for the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship. Let's tease that out in just a few moments, Robbie. The Monday Sports Review, brought to you by Slater Kia. Introducing the new EV6 fully electric SUV with a range of over 500 kilometres. Find out more at Slater Kia Mullingar. So in just a few minutes, I will tell you how hundreds of euro to spend at different Midlands companies can be yours thanks to winahouseinenfield.com and it's all in support of the Killy Community Centre Development Association. Now, how strong is the coffee you have in front of you? I hope it's pretty black because... This convoluted Proposal B for the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship has just become even more convoluted. Robbie, explain. It has indeed, Will. Great segue. Uh, Proposal B+, as it's now been uh, called, is being floated by Cork CEO Kevin O'Donovan. That's his role as a member of the Fixtures Calendar Review Task Force. He's doing it. So basically, it would see the provincial finalists in each province rewarded with extra points in the league. So you get two bonus points awarded uh, for the provincial winners and the runners-up will be given a one-point head start. So obviously people will be aware the recently defeated proposal B, one of the big uh, negatives against it from provincial councils was that it would devalue the provincial competitions that would essentially become pointless because teams would be focusing on the league-based championship and not playing full teams and you know, they would just become like the O'Byrne Cup that we see in January for awfully playing. So it's hoped that this would alleviate some of the fears that those counties would have about undermining the provincial competitions. So maybe take a quick listen to uh, Mr O'Donovan here. He says he's trying to keep everyone happy and it's a bit of a balancing act at the moment. It gives a value to it but it's not undermining. I feel, I feel two points when there's 14 points up for grabs, seven games, 14 points, adding two more doesn't totally undermine it. Other models propose giving a direct route for provincial winners to all Ireland quarterfinals and things. I, I think that totally undermines the summer. So this is, again, balancing act. Can we tilt it back in favour of the provincial competitions? Now, look, this is the the problem that they're going to have with the different uh, structures and the different powers that be within the GEA trying to keep them all happy and trying to give everyone a slice of the pot going forward is going to be very difficult and 
that's what they faced at the council meetings there recently and that's what they're going to face at the, the next conventions as well going forward so who knows if that's going to take shape but it seems very convoluted to me I can't really see how it's going to fit in all right. Uh, I know there are some ladies' results you want to run through. Yeah, just very quickly in the ladies' football, the intermediate uh, championship since Sylvester has beat the Downs two nine to five points. The junior ladies' football championship it was disappointment for Ballyfin of Leash. They lost to St. Colin Kills of Longford one twelve to five points. Better news on the Camogie front though. The deferred twenty twenty Leinster Club Camogie semi finals at the intermediate level sent Ryan's of Offaly fifteen points, Michael of Carlo eleven, and unfortunately for Amores of Leash they lost out in a very tight one one seven to nine points against Selbridge of Kildare so that means obviously St. Rhinus are going to go on and play Selbridge in the final so that's one to look forward to for everyone involved with St. Rhinus Camogie the Junior Camogie Championship semi-final as well there was a local derby between Neve Reid of Offaly and Raharney of Westmead the Westmead champions come out on top in that 113-19 to so another final appearance there for Raharney Camogie well done to everyone involved with them and the Junior B Camogie final as well Drum Rainey of uh, Westmead unfortunately came out the wrong end of a defeat against Nockana of Wicklow 212-14 to so uh, well done to all those teams involved and I know it was a big day as well for uh, Drum Rainey there in the Junior B Camogie final so unlucky for them OK let's switch then to cross channel soccer Ralph Raniak now taking charge at Manchester United and they've had a decent run of form lately whether it's his influence or not I suppose um, on the previous games can be debated but take us through the game against Crystal Palace yeah, this was a big uh, game for many Man United fans just to see if Rangnick could get his kind of fingernails dipped into what would happen with Manchester United in this famed pressing that everyone is waiting to see from the team. And he made an initial uh, switch to a 4-2-2-2, which in terms of formation, like Southampton played, a lot of these teams who like to press high with the pitch played, it allows them to get more players high up. And it seemed to work for them at different periods. Now, he only had 45 minutes, of course, to work with the players and it was evident where they would get, say, one thing perfectly spot on, one trigger, how he wanted the press right, and then all of a sudden Crystal Palace would just play out through them. And Palace, in fairness, have been going very well under Patrick Vieira. Now, Ranić didn't make any changes to the team that beat Arsenal on Thursday, and he said beforehand, well, look, the players have proved that they've you know, played well in that game, they've earned another start in this one. So it was evident that he doesn't want to rock the boat too much and it's going to be incremental change going forward. He said he was especially impressed with how the team adapted, given he only had that one training session. I'm, I, I, I must admit I was surprised, positively surprised, because we not only did we play uh, Thursday, a late kickoff, we had two days less to recover compared to Crystal Palace. Um, and we had not even a full training session, to be honest, yesterday, because it was 45 minutes, it was pouring, it was not only Manchester weather, it was just disgusting, it was heavily raining, windy, so it was almost impossible to train in a, in a concentrated and focused manner, but uh, they still did it. Those 45 minutes were important on the pitch to explain to them how we want to play, in which manner we want to play, and the rest was video footage. And look, like we said last week, Will, it's going to be uh, incremental progress for them like in the six-month contract that he has and possibly on then to a further year. Like They're not just going to overnight start to become a very high-pressing team, turning the ball over high up the pitch and creating millions of chances. Like The players are going to have to learn how to play this system. And it could be that one or two players that maybe were lamented before, such as Fred, who got the winner yesterday, turn out to be a vital player in the cog. Like He's kind of the all-action, high-pressing player, full of energy that Ranić likes to see in the team. So it'll be interesting just to see how certain players adapt. He started yesterday with Alex Tellez and Diogo Dallo at right back, two players who maybe didn't get much of a look in under Solskjaer since they both arrived at the club. Dallo was out in loan at Milan last year and didn't even get a game really over there in Italy. So it'll be interesting just to see what he does with the team going forward and whether the big names can adapt to the style of play that he wants. All right, looking at other results then, 
Uh, Chelsea losing to West Ham. Bit of a surprise there. It was, and it's a bit of a statement game for uh, David Moyes' side. You know, like they, they have a tough run coming up against some of the top teams. And it was, you know, a lot of people are saying we'll know more about West Ham uh, when they get through these fixtures, if they can still remain in the top four. And that win will do a lot to cement in that place uh, as a top four team over the coming weeks. Like they're, they have a two-point cushion on Spurs now and a three-point cushion on United. And they're six points off. Chelsea so really coming well, over that's the, still a tall order though ah, it is but the, look the top three places in the Premier League are probably the horses bolted on those at this stage so uh, you know it's West Ham Tottenham Man United Arsenal are going to be fighting it out for that fourth position so how they go in the head-to-heads against all those teams is going to determine where they are at the end of the season and the busy Christmas period as well that everyone will know coming up it really favours the bigger clubs because obviously the extended squads and they're able to rotate and not lose out too much whereas West Ham well, won't be able to do that. They'll have to stick with the same team and try and grind out the results against some of the mid and lower table teams. And like even, you know, you look at Gerrard taking over at Villa. Villa are no longer going to be a pushover. Uh, Wolves are going very well again this year. Leicester City are, you know, lower than where we'd expect them to be under Brendan Rodgers. And like, it's an old cliche, but there's no, you know, gimme in the Premier League this season. And the next month, six weeks are going to be absolutely crucial for West Ham and where they can shake out in the Champions League contention this mm. season. Well, no banana skins anyway for Liverpool, prevailing 1-0 against Wolves. Uh, similarly, Man City uh, getting the better of Watford. So uh, the top three very much locked in, as you say. Where will we go next, Robbie? Uh, we'll just uh, finish up with the uh, Premier League with uh, Antonio Conte because he feels a responsibility to deliver success for the fans. Obviously, the big 3-0 win over Norwich yesterday, which was quite disappointing because uh, Andrew Owen with Bamadeli and Adam Ida both started from an Irish point of view for Norwich. But they're obviously, like I said, now just two points behind fourth place West Ham in the Premier League, something that we wouldn't have uh, expected when we were here talking about the demise of Nuno Espirito Santo. But he's been outlining what he thinks is crucial to his style of play, considering we're just talking about Ranić. This is a pretty interesting comparison. For me, it's important to, to play football, to play and to have the personality and uh, to play the ball. And, uh, and also, when, uh, when you find uh, a team that uh, is very... He's defending uh, low and also to play and to go uh, is very important uh, in this system. And then I need to have uh, players uh, with personality with uh, to play the ball. And one quick tidbit before tonight's Premier League clash between Everton and Arsenal. Everton this morning confirmed director of football Marcel Brands has stepped down. Brands joined the club in 2018. He's been involved in spending £300 million with the players. Everton obviously play Arsenal this evening. And uh, look where they are on the table. Rafael Benitez under a lot of pressure there, Will. Indeed. Robbie, thank you. Next sport on Midlands 103 at 1 o'clock. Now, in the last hour... The regional hospital in Mullingar has issued a statement to say its emergency departments are very, very busy. It's in escalation mode. The teams are managing both adult inpatient and COVID-19 bed capacity together with scheduled care. So they are asking you, please consider your options before attending the emergency departments. If you do need to come to ED and are not triaged as seriously ill then you may have to wait for longer periods than usual to be seen. Adult and paediatric patients who require urgent care will be prioritised. So Mullingar Hospital under pressure again this morning. Now, your question of the day. Bit of a trick question and, well, it might be easy or it might be difficult. I'm, I'm sure Mr Google will help you, but please don't. See if you can figure it out yourself. Which word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? 
which word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it. Now, that is worth a place in the draw on Friday. So today's qualifier could win hundreds of euros in vouchers for local businesses, compliments of the Killy Community Centre Development Association. Their major fundraising draw takes place in just a few weeks' time. €800 Euro of vouchers for the likes of the County Arms Hotel in Burr, Brushed Hair Salon, the Bridge House Hotel, Time For Me Nail Treatment, the list goes on. Um, I will give you, perhaps, those prizes on Friday if you come out of the draw. But to be today's qualifier, and no, Tony Christie, you cannot enter. Thank you. You are correct with your answer, by the way. The question is, uh, which word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? Uh, text or WhatsApp your answer along with your name and where you are listening. Now, this is a dilemma from Paul. And he hopes maybe you can help and do sink your teeth into his problem or indeed any of the dilemmas that we are going to explore today on headaches and heartaches. Paul says his girlfriend has started an OnlyFans account. If you don't know what that is, type it in online and lock yourself in a private room. He's not comfortable with her doing this because they've been together for over a year and it's clear she has plenty of money. She has a good job, but she wants the extra cash and she doesn't see a difficulty with this. He doesn't want his mates seeing her half-naked on the internet. He's also concerned for her that while she's making good money now, in a few years' time she'll live to regret it and it'll come back to haunt her, especially when she has children. And it's causing some real argument in their relationship. Heavens above, 20 years ago, we didn't have these problems. Unless you were invited to appear in Playboy. And let's face it, not everybody got that sort of an invitation. So let's tease this out with our agony aunt, Rachel Kelly. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Will. I know the answer to that quiz as well, so it's really frustrating. But I'm saying nothing. (laughs) Please, please don't. Rory Hafford is with us as well. He's a psychotherapist and author living in four in County Westmeath. Morning, sir. Hi, Will. How are you? Good to talk to you. Now, let's get your take on this story first, Rachel. If you were Paul, what would you say to his girlfriend? Uh, Well, one, she's great confidence in her own body to be doing this, and it's her body. Let me just say that straight off. But I can understand Paul... These are the I, I get in trouble. I keep calling this only friends, only fans. Um, so I did some research on this because you have to do that. It's uh, to get into the site. I think she's talking about you actually have to pay to do this. So there is one section where anyone can see. And then for the next level, shall we call it, as far as I can gather, you pay to get the next intimacy. So I don't think all his friends are going to be paying to see her personally, um, from what I can gather. I don't think it's going to come back to haunt her in a while because it is a paid site that you go into. It's not like, I, I can't describe it like it's on a magazine. It's not, it's where you pay to see these uh, people privately. 
So I think he's very nervous about it. I don't think his mates are going to see her. Most of the girls, from what I can gather, are in underwear. You see a lot more on the beaches and the girls in the bikini. And actually, you see a lot more in Spain because they only wear the bottom half, if that, on the beaches. Um, well, for the sake of my marriage and given that Mrs. Faulkner is downstairs, I'm going to deny all knowledge of OnlyFans. But the way the Internet generally works, if one person has access to the images, they can download it. And what's to stop them WhatsApping it to a group of friends? Um, as far as I can gather with this, it's a very, very secure site and you pay to get in. And I don't think you can screenshot shoot it. Mm. Um, I don't think that's a possibility with these with this site. Um, from what I have researched now, I, I'm not au fait with it in that detail, but I believe it's a very, very secure site. You'll see naked women overseas. You can get to them much more. Um, I can understand that he is very bothered about it. Um, I think more power to her to be that confident with it. She may hate her job. She may have a good job that's bringing in good money, but she may not be getting satisfaction. I, I'm curious to why yeah. she wants to do this. What is she lacking in her life that she wants to do this i mean great that you want to do this and you are proud of your body that you want to show it off in whatever way at least she's not going to a cd joint and doing it where money is thrown to you if you get my drift um but what's happened in her life that um she wants to go here what, what's she looking for what she's seeking for that she's not getting in uh, her everyday life that is she trying to get a bit more confidence in her? Is mm. uh, That's is a fascinating getting... take. Yes, it might not necessarily be the financial reward. It may be the validation or the compliments or just seeing that she has a sheer number of subscribers or whatever else produces that dopamine hit for her. Rory, what's your take? I'd be coming at it from a psychotherapeutic point of view. And for me, the, the question the question is not uh, the question is not what she's doing. We all know the, the whole country now knows what she's doing. The real question question is why. And sometimes the person who's actually engaging in behaviour that the rest of us find questionable, they don't even know themselves as to as as the why. Why am I doing this? So I wouldn't. I wouldn't, sorry, well, I wouldn't fancy having my significant other appear naked or semi-naked in front of what is now tantamount to the whole world. But that's not up to me. That's, that's the choice of the individual concerned. And if th th there, is a, there is a branch of psychotherapy called existential psychotherapy, which is basically a philosophy. And it's the one that I would use most in my clinic and it's it's what it, what is of vital importance is the right of the human being to choose to choose and then to have that choice respected because it is their choice and if you think about it you can take everything away from somebody in this world everything except their ability to choose 
to be tantamount and paramount to this. I can imagine it being a very tricky conversation for both of them because in situations like this, it may be perceived that he's objecting for other reasons, whether it's insecurity on his part, and, and maybe there is a touch of that, um, or it's a control attempt. So how would you present it if you were him? I would do. I would, I would explain exactly how it is that I feel. We have a tendency when we're faced with, with difficult situations, conundrums, just to clam up and to say nothing. But then that deprives the other person of hearing and feeling and experiencing what it is that, that, that you're feeling. If I wanted to move the step forward and get her not to do this, I suppose one of the main ways to do that is to highlight the benefits of her not doing that. And if I was to put myself in that situation, it's this is a kind of a life-changing thing. I know that that, that sounds a, a huge statement to make, but it is. When those pictures go up, those two people will be a different way in the world. A different way. Because the dynamic has changed. So, overall then, um, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of whether this relationship is likely to be sustained. Um, and it seems to be, if he handles it the right way, maybe. But it's, it's his choice as well, ultimately, whether he wants to be in that sort of relationship uh, with somebody who maybe has different values to him. Um, what would you do, uh, Rachel? Would you stay or would you go? Well, I'm, they said they've been arguing over it. I think they need to talk rather than argue. And it's a hard conversation to have. Any relationship, you do have to talk about the um, difficult stuff as well as the hard stuff. Uh, I mean, the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff. Um, arguing over it isn't going to get you anywhere. Um, and maybe just start off by saying, hey, I need to talk to you about this. It's, it's wrecking my head. Um, and try and find out where she is coming from with this um, without getting defensive. And obviously, he's going to get defensive and she is going to get very defensive over it because they've been arguing over it. Um, and just say, look, uh, they've been together for a year. I presume they're in love at this stage um, and say, look, I really love you. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out why you want to do this where you're coming from. I'm trying to support you. I don't like arguing. And I just need to figure out why you want to do this because you have a good job. Um, and I'm worried that my friends are going to see you. And just lay it out and tell them why, rather than everyone presuming, which I think this is what's happened. Everyone's presuming they know what the other person is thinking. Um, women are really bad at presuming that men know what they're thinking. Men never know what we're thinking. Um, and it can happen the other way around, too. So you have to just spell it out in black and white. So each of the other person knows, but without accusing anybody of anything. And just say how you are feeling um, and work with it from there. And we don't know Somebody could have been brought up very, very strictly, and this is not how you work. And somebody could have been brought up far more liberal, liberally. 
Sorry, my teeth aren't working today. <laughs> and if you come from two completely different ways of being brought up, sometimes it doesn't blend so well. So maybe the girl has been brought up in a much more liberal household and Paul has been brought up in a very strict household. So it might not blend as well. And it's up to them to find out if they can make it halfway. And if they can't, maybe it's just time to be friends and call it quits. It's a very hard thing, but they have to figure out where um, the girl is coming from. And if Paul is prepared and Sinead to talk, or not Sinead, sorry, but the girl is prepared to talk to about this. Um, sorry, a friend just sent me a text message and her name's Sinead and it's just popped up on my phone. Um, so and I just want to clarify as well, it's not our Sinead Hubble who's on OnlyFans. No, it's not. It's a friend of mine called Sinead who's just stuck, sent me a text message and she's whacked up on my phone and I'm talking to you. So it's just a case of um, they need to talk and without arguing, which they have, this couple have been doing, and come to somewhere halfway on the conversation um, and try and figure out um, what they're going to do without accusing the other one and um, figure out from there. Well, speaking of arguing, and if I can get you to think about this while we take a break, Rory, this had started with just one message from Alison about her boyfriend not getting vaccinated and she's not comfortable with that. She is vaccinated. But we've had several other people put scenarios to us over the last hour or so where in families, especially at Christmas, different relations are coming around and some are vaccinated and some are unvaccinated and how to draft in the UN and deal with that as diplomatically as possible, where perhaps there's somebody vulnerable nearby. Now, back to our dilemmas on heartaches and heartbreaks and headaches and whatever we're calling this segment. Apologies. Uh, we have uh, a dilemma from Alison, who's seeing a guy who isn't vaccinated. Uh, she is fully vaccinated. He doesn't want to get the vaccine, and he's a very nice guy. But this is becoming quite a problem for her and quite a problem in many other households, I suspect, as Christmas approaches. Rory Hafford, psychotherapist, how would you deal with this? Will? Yes, Rory, how would you deal with this scenario? Sorry, Will, the, the, the signal is dropping off ever so slightly on your end. If you can still hear me, I'll just continue to talk until, until you... The, the, I, I think this is, this is a fascinating question, and it's, it, it, it couldn't be more timely, but it is couched in such emotion. The, the, the message that has been put out from what has now become two sides of one argument is becoming more and more vitriolic. And what we have is we have, if, and if you're unvaccinated, that's bad. And that is largely the message that has been put out. But again, you have to see it from both sides. Both sides have a point of view on this, and both point of views have to be taken. Uh, lately, in, in, in the media in particular, the, the, the position against people who are unvaccinated has been ramped up. Uh, I've even heard terms... Now, broadly speaking, it does fall into two categories, the anti-vaxxers and the scared vaxxers. And there are thousands of Irish people who fall into the category of being scared, scared half to death to go near this 
vaccine. And that has to be taken on board. And I'm not talking about the anti-vaxxers. I'm talking about normal human beings who, who are just frightened to take that next step. Now, if, if, if you take on board what this man is, uh, the choice that he has made, it seems that he is genuinely concerned. And he's made the choice based on that. Again, as is, as is back to the, 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 the previous question that we had, this is his existential right as a human being. And his choice must be respected. And if you think about it, it's, it is a choice that's made by many people with a heavy heart. Put on people to get the vaccine for all the right reasons, it could be argued. It signifies bravery to go the other way. In fact, it would be a lot easier, I suggest, just to get it. Now, Alison is saying that this guy, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. But to develop a relationship that is deeper, there has to be an unconditional acceptance. If you have conditional love, it's not love, it's control. So if she wants a relationship with this man, she has to take on board that which is important to him, as he does with her. And again, she needs to sit down talk to him, listen, and it's in the listening that it will come out as to why exactly this man has chosen, his choice, chosen not to get this vaccine. And which is a genuine concern. And we've all read about the side effects and worse that has befallen people who have actually taken the vaccine. And by the same token, we all know the stories about how the vaccine is, will give you greater protection. But both sides of those arguments have to be given equal weight when it comes to a situation like this. I think there is one, one thing that could be done that might smooth it a little bit. Get them to get tested. And then the question becomes not, are you vaccinated, but do you have COVID? Yes, and that, yes, uh, and yes. That will, that will change the dynamic. All right. Unfortunately, time is up. But in 30 seconds or less, Rachel, how would you approach it? Well, his problem is he knew somebody who'd had a bad reaction. I'm curious to what that bad reaction is. Was it a sore arm? We all got very sore arms. Um, The bad reaction is very little compared to what the positive is. Uh, I'm I'm a pro vaccinator. I'm sorry. That's the way I am. Uh, I'm not impressed Personally, I, I think we need to get the vaccines and move on. Um, and I, I wouldn't be impressed with somebody who's not getting vaccine. It, we need to get the vaccine. Everyone needs to get the vaccine. And that's me. And I know it's your choice, but it's also um, if he wants to stay with her, get the vaccine. You know, very few people get a bad reaction. <laughs> it sounds reaction like it would be a big argument scheme. if you were his girlfriend then. Uh, with If it was me, it was either... Uh, Get the vaccine or bye-bye. Nice knowing you. Cheers. Nice knowing you. Bye-bye. Right. It's a bad reaction. Get over yourself. Guys, we have to leave it there. I appreciate your time and thank you. Uh, we will be continuing these conversations and uh, on a regular basis with our headaches and heartaches. Uh, that was um, Rory Hafford, psychotherapist and author living in County Westmeath and our agony aunt Rachel Kelly. Thank you, Roy, for pushing all the buttons. Thank you, Sinead and Kayleigh, for doing the hard work. Thank you most of all for listening. Let's chat tomorrow morning from nine. Bye-bye.